You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. My name is Alex Felice, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. The thread couldn't be more clear. It read verbatim. I've seen four posts this morning saying that if you want to improve your life, you have to give up sugar, alcohol, and similar things. Well, this is probably a good idea. Sugar isn't your problem. What changes lives is radical responsibility, huge goals to shoot for, and a monster intensity that lasts 10 years. There are millions of successful people who eat sugar and millions of people who eat clean but go nowhere in life. Don't let people sell you cheap solutions. Well, today we talk hustle culture, clean eating, and a slew of other controversial topics with resident rabble rouser and my good friend, Alex Scott Feliz. Alex Scott Feliz is the creative director for Brandon Turner's new podcast, A Better Life. He loves cameras and people, and according to his Threads bio, deadlifts solve all problems. He also says shit talk is his love language. Alex Scott Feliz, welcome back to Earn and Invest. Let's start with deadlifts. Come on now. Haven't you ever like hurt yourself doing this? That's a lot of weight to lift up off your body, even over your head, right? I actually hurt myself just the other day. Yeah, I hurt myself a lot. <laughs> Shoot, I didn't I didn't know that it was so recent. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm coming from actually I turned 40 yesterday. So uh my days of deadlifting 400 pounds is is starting to take its toll. But I think that's part of the point, right? If you're not getting hurt, you know, are you really trying? I've got a decade on you. And so I'm trying not to get hurt nearly as much because I found every 10 years or so I get hurt more often. To be a little bit more serious, we're going to have a little bit of a controversial conversation. And you do say in your bio that shit talk is your love language. For people who don't know you, you kind of like to stir things up a little, huh? Yeah, I find it a little bit of fun to stir the pot a little bit. I. I come from a place where I know in my heart that I mean well. I love people. I want people to get better. I am of the opinion that, uh, you know, the only way I know how to love people is tough love. And so I find that, you know, a little harsh language along the way in life is just fun theatrics. You know, life is hard and you got to be tough to to really do well at it. And if you can't handle a little, you know, abrasive language, then, you know, you're going to, I think you're going to have a harder time. So I start with a little bit of a pinprick. To, to get people going, let's say that way. You mentioned that life is hard. And before we get to the bulk of this conversation, let's talk about how I know you. Both you and I met each other at FinCon, which is pretty much a creator's conference for social media, et cetera. And both of us are interested in personal finance. You're actually part of the real estate world. Tell me a little bit about how you got interested in real estate and eventually hooked up with Brandon Turner. Uh, got into real estate in 2014 during the foreclosure boom. It was the first time I really started learning investing. I knew that I didn't want to 401k or stock market my way into financial freedom. I needed cash flow and I had no money. I didn't really want to start a business and I needed something that was, I'm a low risk sort of fella. So I was like, well, what solves all those boxes? And it was cash flowing rental real estate, set it and forget it. It was a little more controlled than the stock market. And uh, again, cash flow rather than um, than just equity. And I like the idea of just like, Hey, that thing's in a cash flow, and I get to keep the asset. I don't have to worry about, you know, dividends changing or having to sell off equities to, to make my returns. Um, and it turned out that in 2014, you could go on the MLS where I lived in a small little town in North Carolina and buy houses for $30,000 a pop. And so I bought 
you know, a lot of those, not as many as I should in retrospect, but uh, I bought enough of those to uh, to sort of guarantee my my financial future. Now they all quadrupled in value. And so along the way, I got into cameras, found a, a sort of a surprising love of creativity and, and cameras. And I merged my real estate network and my real estate life with telling stories on camera. And in 2019, excuse me, 2018, I was on the Bigger Pockets podcast. In 2019, I met Brandon Turner at a an event, took us took a couple of photos for him, became the photographer for Bigger Pockets. You know, didn't really stay in touch with Brandon, but here and there, you know, we were acquaintances. And then um, when he had a need for a full time um, storyteller, full time production guy, I was the obvious choice. This is one of those interesting stories about passion. A lot of us get into personal finance or real estate or whatever we get into because we don't really love this idea of working for someone else. And I know specifically you were your own boss, right? You were creating cash flow, buying real estate. How did it feel like to go back and start working for someone? Yeah, good question. Not that bad. Um, I think it's important. You know, financial freedom is is like this idea that people go like, I got to quit this job. I hate this job. I don't like working. And it's like, yeah, maybe. I think most people have to do something. And it's just important to find something that you like working on. And I came out here and I was like, look, I want to bring cinema quality production to podcasting. And so he's like, well, okay, you just do that. And then we'll be happy. So, you know, working, you know, being an employee, I'm like, you can call whatever you want, right? You can call whatever you want. Um, it, it, it was a, it, the framework that we created allowed me to do what I wanted to do and allowed Brandon to get what he wanted to get. So I want to get back to that thread because I believe it ties into your past a little bit and even into our community, this idea of freeing yourself from the nine to five and freeing yourself from employment, at least you don't want, ties in very much to this idea of hustle culture. And this was kind of one of those things I thought about when I read that thread. I'm going to reread the thread in a minute, but first and foremost, Tell me about this idea of hustle and even hustle culture, the way you interpret it. Is that a bad or good thing? Because I've heard people talk about hustle in both really positive ways, but there's also been a blowback where people talk about it as being maybe a negative thing. Yeah. Look, hustle culture, there's a lot of people in the world that have high work ethic and they want to go you know, create their life and they should. And there, But there's also like a lot of marketing that goes along with hustle culture that is, you know, it sort of steers people into things that they're just not built for. Like most people are not hyper entrepreneurs, right? That's a small percentage of people. Most people would do very well with creating enough financial freedom for themselves so that they can breathe and then go find out what they're really designed um, to do in the world. And like I said, the percentage of people of that, that's going to be like hyper entrepreneurs is going to be small, maybe 5%. In the end of the day, like money is empty. Money provides no intrinsic spiritual value. You can't take it with you, right? It isn't, it is a, it's a different form of alcoholism, right? There's nothing at the bottom of the bottle. So it's like hustle culture is good. It's a tool like any other. It's got, it, it, it's good when it's used correctly and it's, it's, it's bad when it's used incorrectly, you know, like a hammer can build a house and it can be a murder weapon. It's not the hammer's fault. And so hustle culture, like most things, um, is has its good and it's bad. So I want to reread the thread and then I'm going to ask a few questions about it. So let's go back to the original thread that you posted that gave me the inspiration for this podcast episode. And I'm quoting here. 
I've seen four posts this morning saying that if you want to improve your life, you have to give up sugar, alcohol, and similar things. Well, this is probably a good idea. Sugar isn't your problem. What changes lives is radical responsibility, huge goals to shoot for, and a monster intensity that lasts 10 years. There are millions of successful people who eat sugar and millions of people who eat clean but go nowhere in life. Don't let people sell you cheap solutions. Talk about the morning that you wrote that. Do you remember what spurred you specifically to write that thread? Yeah, exactly that. I saw a bunch of, you know, uh, influencers, right, with big followings. And they're like, um, oh, I went seven days without alcohol. I went, I, went, I went 30 days without alcohol. You should, too. Give up this alcohol. And they're selling in these big fancy packages like, like, it's, the, like it's the cure to people's problems. And, like, look, I mean, alcohol is not probably that that good and and maybe in, even in any doses although i won't give alcohol that bad of a rep it's, it's not that bad right it's widely used um and for and for millennia and and sugar is the same way right is it good for you no but like i think this idea that people can um i think what people like to do is they like to do these superficial it, it's again it's marketing they, they like to do these superficial fixes right it's it's sort of like looking like I'm solving the problem without actually solving any problems. It's the business owner who likes to play business owner. So they go off and they buy an LLC and they get a website and they get business cards and they have no revenue. It's like, it's, it's all the superficial, easy things to do that don't matter. And so you're like, I'm going to give up sugar. And I'm like, sure. I mean, that's good. If, 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 you know, if you're widely overweight and like, you know, you need to get a clean diet. Right. But then again, it's not just the sugar. I mean, that's one piece of it. And so I, I, I look at, um, I look at a, a lot of people on the internet and they sell these, you know, very oversimplified solutions to difficult problems. And if you want to turn your life around, you know, ice baths in the morning is not <laughs> going to make the big difference. Now, I'm not saying there's not a place for these things. And I'm not saying that, like, maybe there's a one piece of the puzzle or maybe somebody that does cut out sugar and alcohol and do ice baths, you know, starts themselves on a journey that is larger than the, the components involved. But I it, the, the internet is not a place of nuance. The internet place is a place of um, keywords, uh, you know, sound bites. And so if the internet is going to be a place of sound bites, then I want to get my share. And so when everybody says, sells you like a really, you know, easy solution, I'm going to sell you some tough love in, in a very sort of hostile, equally equal package, right? An equally punchy package, but the reverse. That's just what I, I'm doing the same thing they're doing. I'm just trying to add some, the, the opposite perspective. I don't know if you meant to or not, but it actually... The thread draws kind of a stark contrast, this idea of getting rid of bad things in your life. And I think you've added in like doing some kind of useless rituals versus adding in the things you truly want. Do you think that sometimes we go for the low hanging fruit by trying to get rid of some of these things we think that are bringing us down as opposed to maybe going out and doing that difficult thing that you want in life? Of course, nobody wants to do hard. Nobody wants to do hard. I mean... It's just, what's the old saying? What's easy to do is easy not to do. It's kind of, it kind of makes me think of this, like, oh, I can get rid of sugar. It's like, yeah, you can get rid of sugar. Yeah. I mean, do it. Go, go for it. Congrats. You are now somebody who got rid of sugar. Now, like, are you somebody like, is that your goal in life? You know, is your goal in life to drink more water? Is this, is this the big <laughs> pinnacle? Is this the big mountain you're going to climb? You, you know, the water shit drives me crazy because, you know, I'm a physician, right? And there's uh -huh. really no good data on this whole water thing. So that whole thing of like, I'm drinking three liters a day or whatever number that people put out there, that drives me nuts. Because not only do I don't think it's going to actually make any difference in your life, but there's actually no scientific data that shows that this is beneficial in any way, shape or form. 
it's it's cosplaying hustle culture right huh. it's the same thing it's like it's the look at me it's the like it's the i i i did this thing that looks like success it's the ice baths do ice baths work and they go off and they get this data and they go down to the granular and you're like yeah it it, it helps your you know whatever your performance or your cognition or your your whatever by by 2% by 5% by 10% i'm like this is not this is not how the world works this doesn't this is not a night and day difference this is not going to compound into really anything now i'm not saying you shouldn't do ice baths my guess is it's more like do you want to become a person who you know goes to the gym doesn't drink water doesn't uh, excuse me uh, drinks water doesn't drink alcohol doesn't eat sugar does their ice baths every day saves their money has good investments work harder their at their at their business it, you become this comprehensive person that succeeds and maybe these pieces can be components of it. But what people do is they, they, they do ice baths for, for three weeks. They post it on the internet so they can get their clout so they can get their, their, their little, it's an, it's a drug addiction like many others, right? It just looks a little bit different. It looks like productivity. And so I'm just, I'm just personally unimpressed. And so um, again, it comes back to what I said before. It's like, if you're going to just put out some like super simple, um, you know, soundbite or marketing piece to make yourself look better. Well, then I'm going to put out some, you know, aggressive soundbite or marketing piece to show like the other side, the perspective and make myself look better. Like, you know, I'm just not, I, I think that, I think the, the, the internet deserves more nuance. And if I have to do it by, you know, counter punching, then that's the way I'm going to do it. So let's talk about some of those counter punches. One of the things you first call for is radical responsibility. You know, that sounds great, but what the heck does that really mean? Um, I'm going to go deep on you. Okay, please do. <laughs> In the Christian faith, it is, the, the Christian faith is separated from Judaism mostly by um, the crucifixion of Christ, the passion. And so what do they do? They take Jesus, they unfairly uh, arrest him. They beat him to an absolute pulp. They put a cross on his back, right? A symbol of responsibility unfair responsibility and they make him they kick his ass all the way up the hill and then they stick him to it that is radical responsibility that is what it symbolizes the responsibility of you know of all man's failings another one i'll go with you is uh, i just got done reading on um, the brothers karamazov by uh, dostoevsky beautiful book about how every man is responsible for all man's failings and it's a sort of an interesting concept and so radical responsibility now, those are big, big, big concepts, but on a day-to-day -day basis, you can start with everything that's wrong in your life is most likely your fault. And so if you're out of shape and you want to fix it, then like, yeah, you're the one eating the sugar. So you can probably cut that to help, but also you're probably eating too many calories overall. So you're going to cut more than that. If you don't have the money situation you want, it's not the fault of the capitalist. It's probably your fault. If your credit score sucks, it's definitely your fault, right? If you if your relationships aren't healthy, like half of them, half of the 50% of the relationship is you. So it's half your fault. And you chose most of those relationships. Radical responsibility comes from like, if you, if you, if you want your life to be a certain way, the only person who's going to be able to fix it is you. And the only person who got you to the place you're at is you. And so it's easy to say these things, but it's when you internally really deeply believe mm -hmm. them deeply believe them that you can start to say like, well, because the opposite of that is true. When you start to get there and you're like, yeah, my relationships are suck because they're my fault. It's like, well, but if my relationships are going to be good, that's going to be my fault too. So let me get my stuff together. And so radical responsibility is hard and it's a very easy sort of thing to talk about. 
it is harder to enact. And I, I recognize that, but it's also, um, again, it's not the simple cutting out of the sugar tasks that radically, that, that change our life, that are meaningful, that are impactful. It's the difficult mountains that you climb that really make a difference. And so most people don't want to climb difficult mountains. They, and, and this is why they don't, that's what they do. They don't do it. They just, you know, they do an ice bath and they, and then they're like, look, look at me, look how successful I am because they care more about, um, you know, the, what looks the, 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 the cosplay, they care more about what looks like success rather than what they feel. So let's assume that deep down inside people do want some real change. Right. And so maybe they do the ice bath. Maybe they cut out the sugar. They're, they're putting in some effort, but maybe some of the easy effort and maybe some of the misplaced effort. If I'm hearing you and you're saying, boy, radical responsibility. And like you said, it's something easy to say, how do we actually practice that? Like maybe in your life or in how you've seen other people practice radical responsibility, what are those habits that help us do this? Cause I, again, I think it's easy for us to say, okay, well, if I'm successful or not, it's all on me, but that's, that's a mindset thing, but then I have to actually act it out. Yeah. I'll tell you this, you know, to go to be contrarian to my original position, if you are somebody who wants to take radical responsibility, you want to cut out sugar, you want to cut out or, you know, do your ice alcohol, bath, yeah. cut, cut out sugar, cut out alcohol. Yeah. Do it for good. That would be responsibility. Do it for good. Never eat sugar again. And then you'll be somebody who practices radical responsibility. You go to the internet, you say, I cut out sugar and then never, ever, 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 ever eat it again. Right. That will change your life because that isn't just the sugar. Now you're a person who commits. And so radical responsibility is goal setting plus commitment. I mean, that's part of it. I wouldn't say that's that's the definition, but it's like go setting, like I'm gonna go climb Kilimanjaro uh in 2020, January 2025. We have it planned. It's like I'm gonna do it. And so people are like, how'd you do it? It's like first I set the goal, then I committed to the goal. It's done. Right? I'm gonna save 20% of my income no matter what, before I even pay a bill. I'm going to do that. You want radical responsibility? Save 20% of your income first, and then do that forever. And that will get you, you know, that that's the path. So it's goal setting plus commitment, unwavering commitment for a long time. If you want to um, build a business that makes money, do it, do find the idea, commit to it and do it for 10 years, do it every single day, work on it every single day. If you want to be a, a world-class podcaster like Doc G, <laughs> right? Commit to it, set the goal, commit to it and do it every day for 10 years. You will get good. You won't get good by saying like, I'm going to do 10 episodes on the internet and then doing eight. Nobody's going to be that impressed. What they'll be impressed by is when they say, Hey, I'm gonna start a new podcast. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You and everybody else has a podcast. I don't care. And then you show up back, you know, in episode 50 or episode 500, 10 years later. And they're like, what the heck? How did you do that? Radical responsibility. So radical responsibility is this idea of goal setting plus commitment But I notice in this thread and what I also see on social media, this idea of no sugar, no alcohol or the ice baths or whatever it is, is they're kind of superfluous goals, right? Like, like a big part of, I think what you're criticizing here is, is maybe even if we are going to be committed, we're committing to the wrong thing. Yeah. We're, we're cosplaying success again. uh, So one of my, one of my first, I have a list of values that I've been trying to work on. Like what is, what is most important to Alex? And, and, you know, number two is pursue radical responsibility. And number three or four is do what's hardest. Right. And so this culture, our American culture, I mean, I love America. I'm not, I don't want to dog America, but like we are very immature and we celebrate too easy and our goals are too shallow. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big problem. So I think 
Uh, you know who's good on this is um, is it like Jordan Peterson? It's like set the highest possible goal you can think of, and then do nothing else except try to reach it. And so, it's just not a bad way to go. I think, I think we've all convinced ourselves that the norm is sort of easy, and life in America is very easy, right? We're wildly rich. Our quality of life is sick. I mean, it's just it's easy to be easy, right? It's common to be easy. You look around your peers, and you're like, you know, if you do ten percent better than your peers. That that's probably impressive. If you're in the top ten percent performers of your peers, it's like, but your peers, they might not might might not be doing anything hard at all, other than doing their forty hour work week and complaining about that. So, like, where is the aspiration here? And I'm not saying I'm perfect by any means, but I'm trying every day to set higher and higher, harder and harder goals because not only is that where success from com- comes from, that's where fulfillment comes from. You're gonna get done with your life, and you're like, look at all these hard things I did. Right? It's hard to go travel to Europe. Go. It's hard to go to, you know what? You're like, I can't afford to go to Europe. I was like, okay, fine. Drive to Mexico, right? Drive to Argentina. You can, you can, you can go to a lot of places that are, that are hard. That will give you a fulfilling life experience. It's hard to build a company. It's hard to um, create art. It's hard to do a lot of these things. And you're not going to do it by accident. You have got to set goals and you got to set mountainous goals. Now, let me push back on this a little bit. I mean, is there a place for purpose that isn't goal-oriented, that's more process-oriented? So often I look at my venture with podcasting, and I love podcasting, but I realized that setting goals, especially goals that were maybe what you'd call radically responsible goals, really big goals, actually sometimes took away from the joy of doing it, and that I've found a lot more joy in the process of, for instance, making the podcast and a lot less in the all long-term goal setting. I mean, is there a place for that? Actually, yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, goals, yeah, goals should be process oriented. I don't want to, to have a successful podcaster. I want to be a podcaster, hmm. right? Uh, Brandon is great about this. He's like, goals should be identity-based. I am a, mm-hmm. people see me as this, right? Um, Rather than like, you know, I have or I have done, right? I, I, I'm i not like, I've been to this amount of countries. It's like, no, I'm somebody who go- travels, right? I always have travel plans lined up. We are talking to Alex Scott Fleece. He's the creative director for Brandon Turner's new podcast, A Better Life. And we are talking a thread he put out there about things, including radical responsibility and goal setting. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R usa.com that's landroverusa.com 
Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenues, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. We are talking to Alex Scott Feliz, who says that deadlifting solves all problems. He also says shit talk is his love language. And we are talking about a thread. I'm going to read the thread for you again. And this is verbatim. I've seen four posts this morning saying that if you want to improve your life, you have to give up sugar, alcohol, and similar things. While this is probably a good idea, sugar isn't your problem. What changes lives is radical responsibility, huge goals to shoot for, and monster intensity that lasts 10 years. There are millions of successful people who eat sugar and millions of people who eat clean but go nowhere in life. Don't let people sell you cheap solutions. Let's talk about this term monster intensity for 10 years. First and foremost, how did you come up with 10 years as opposed to five or 20 or what have you? Yeah, arbitrary, mostly arbitrary. Most people can't do anything for 10 years. And that's why, right? I'm trying to juxtapose the, I can give up sugar. Like how long do you have to give up sugar before it makes your life better? Is it every day? Is it just today? I didn't drink, I didn't eat sugar today. Look how successful I am. So can you give up sugar for 10 years? Can you build a business for 10 years? Can you podcast for 10 years? You know, you know the data on podcasting. How many people quit after 10 episodes? It's high. Oh, yeah, like 75%. How many people quit before 100 episodes? 90, 99? 99. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give it, if you can get to 10 years, like it's it, the, the data between 10 years and five years is probably just as radical, right? I, I said 10 years is mostly arbitrary, but 10 years is a big number. But also 10 years is like what it really takes. Like most companies don't make all the money that they're going to make in the first five years. You know, if you want to get in shape, it's like, you know, what's interesting is 10 years isn't really the number. Forever is the number. Hmm. Forever is the number. You want to get in shape. You want to be somebody who's like in shape. It's a go to the gym. It, it, it's not a five-year goal. It's a forever goal. You want to be a podcaster? Doc, are you going to quit? In, are you going to quit after you hit 10 years? I hopefully, I don't think I'm going to quit ever. Hmm. Which is exactly my point. So if you can do something for 10 years, then you're probably somebody who does the thing as a part of their identity. And then, then you are a successful podcaster. I've said it before. I think I already said it in the show. I might not have, well, we have, maybe we said it before you recorded. Like you're probably the best podcaster I know personally in terms of your preparation, your, your ability to like curate a, a, a conversation. You're just, you're great. And it's not because you have some goal to be the best podcaster. It's because you have a goal to, you just like it. You're, you are, your identity is a podcaster. And that makes you, that makes you the best and you'll continue to get better forever. And so I said 10 years, I didn't really mean 10 years. What I really meant was forever, but people are too afraid of 10 years. Never mind forever. They can't get to, and which is exactly why I think you asked, you're like, why not five years, Alex? Can we, can we be reasonable here? And it's like, dude, you, the last thing you want to do with your actual life is set goals that are reasonable. 
That's the last thing you want to do. You want to be unreasonable. You want to shoot big. I love this idea of 10 years only because you've heard the saying, and I don't even know if the numbers are right, but people say, you know, you could be surprised at how little you can accomplish in one year, but how much you can accomplish in 10 years. Just this idea of sticking with it gets you past the hump of naivete or whatever it is that keeps you from doing what you need to do. And that you just have to get past that point. And often that point is longer out than a year. Yeah, the, I think it's called the Valley of Despair. It's when you're like, you do something for a little while, you start to get a, like, oh, this is fun. And then you're like, wait, I'm not that good at it. Maybe I'll just quit. And then you got to like grind through that and then you get better. And then you find out that there's other people that are way better. And then you keep going. And then what else happens when you do something for 10 years is you get the waves of success that come from randomness. What happens when the economy goes down and people like flee from financial content because they get dis- disillusioned, right? And they're not interested. Well, then the economy comes back. And then everyone's going to come back and they're like, I want to make money. I'm I'm starting to feel confident again. Who is the authority in the financial podcast industry? And there's like seven podcasts that have existed for 10 years because those are the seven that just didn't quit and they get all the market share. So time, time really matters. I mean, there's, it's not a universal thing, right? It doesn't, it doesn't apply to everything equally, but you want to get, you know, like photography, you want to get good at photography. It's like, dude, do it for 10 years. Do it for, do it for life. There'll become time. There'll be swings up and down where I'm, you know, I have, uh, I'm good. I'm bad. Trends come along and they're like, you know, what's really popular right now is this is what I'm working on full time is business owners, entrepreneurs, and people that are realizing that they have to create content to thrive, to succeed, to exist in the marketplace today. If you are an entrepreneur or business owner, you know, you have to create content now you have to. And there's not that many resources for people who um, do what I do, which is I try to get the camera out of your way. So you can go from idea to like on the internet as quickly and easily as possible, looking good, sounding good and getting and, and being, you know, like being a good personality. So like that's becoming popular. And that's what I've been working on, you know, accidentally for the last five, 10 years. So I'm capitalizing on what's a growing movement right now. So you have to do things for long term to get the real to, to get the real success. And 10 years is 10 years is the first benchmark, let's say. Yeah. And, and we're talking about compounding, right? If we want to put this as a financial podcast, although we talk about non-financial things all the time, but really what we're talking about is the financial term compounding is that it takes a certain number of years to compound your skills and your ability. And then when, again, you take in the kind of flows of being the right person at the right time, you're going to be the right person at the wrong time sometimes, but hopefully the right time will come about. We're talking about monster intensity for 10 years. We talked about the 10 years part. What is monster intensity? What does that look like in your life specifically? Monster monster intensity is not a weakness of mine. It's sort of built into my personality. I I have a I'm tempted to think that most people have some intensity in them, you know, when they get to around the right thing. I, I could be wrong. So maybe I'm just showing my bias here, but I, I'm intense about everything. And I and I think I look at success and you know, who it, that's wildly successful isn't intense, obsessed about what it is that they want to do. I don't think that you can be wildly successful and half-ass things or like do it casually, right? I mean, look at, you know, YouTube's one that I talk about often. It's like, you want to compete on YouTube at a, at a high level? You can't do it once a week anymore. You, you got to find a way to make it, to really compete, you got to find a way to make it full-time, right? It's, it's, there's a lot of resources in there. You want to be an actor? You want to be a Marvel star? It's like, dude, not on the weekends. That's your <laughs> life. Yeah. 
right? I don't know. How much do you work on this podcast, right? You've been doing this now for a while, but I'm sure it's not a, an hour a week sort of thing. No, it's, no, no. 20 to, 20 to 30 hours a week. Um, and that probably doesn't even include a lot of the social media time that I don't even look at and think about, right? When you're out there posting, interacting with people. Ralph Waldo Emerson says, a man is what he thinks about all day long. And so I question people. I'm like, what do you think about all day long? Are you thinking about distractions? Are you just bouncing around to the next, you know, dopamine hit? That's not monster intensity. Monster intensity is waking up and thinking about the thing you want to accomplish. When I was a, I was a meathead powerlifter for many years before I got into finance. And, um, you know, I got a video, I'll have to send it to you. I got a video of me deadlifting like 600 pounds once. And it's not because I just went to the gym four hours a week. It's because I woke up and I think I thought about the gym every day. And I was, I was stretching the right way and I was eating and I was like, okay, today's my rest day, but I still have to eat this. I still have to do these stretches. I still have to, you know, I have to rest. So I'm going to do less. And then tomorrow it's like, okay, I got deadlifts. I got it at this month, this time of the day. So I'll, I'll stretch throughout the day. I'll drink this amount of water. I'll, you know, I'll, it's the whole day. The whole day is geared around this thing that I want to accomplish. And so I think it's, it's mental. It's not like, you know, I'm an intense guy by my, my physical nature. I'm intense. It doesn't have to be that, but it definitely has to be. It definitely has to be up here. It has to be in that brain. You got to be thinking about it. How am I going to accomplish this goal? How am I going to, to solve this problem? How am I going to get to where I'm going? If it's just, if it's just a casual one hour a day, four hours a week, like you're just going to get out competed, bro. You know, it's funny you say that, but I think about like, what is the thing you think about all the time? Like for me, it's either podcasting or book writing. Like, especially lately, it's been book writing. It's like, how am I going to write that next book? And it does take up a lot of my thought process. Like I'm thinking about that like every day. It's like, how am I prepping? Who am I talking to? What am I doing? And it's funny because I am at a point in life where certainly the intensity doesn't have to necessarily be there. Like I don't need to do it to make a living. I don't need to do it to put food on the table. Um, But it just seems like a natural flow of intensity. I guess, can we ask that other question? Can intensity go too far? I mean, people do get upset start feeling bad, especially when they're being exceedingly intense about a big, a huge goal and they're not meeting it, right? Not everyone actually reaches their big audacious goals. Yeah. I mean, I started off, I have a highly addictive personality. So <laughs> in that regard, like, yeah, I mean, you can certainly be intense about the wrong things. So setting the productive goals is, is, a, is an art. It's a skill. It's important, right? But it's also easy to mess up. So you can be intense about things that are um unproductive and you can also set goals and be intense about things that just the universe just did not deem to be as valuable as you wish they it was right you can have the most popular podcast about dungeons and dragons and then you know it's dungeons and dragons it's only gonna go so far or what if you're the most successful you know podcaster about you know you know some something that just it goes away. Uh, you you were we were, you know, there's a lot of Bitcoin podcasts that probably yeah. went away when Bitcoin yep. crashes. Yep. And it's like it's just the stroke of the universe. You could have been the best at it, but you know, Lady Fortuna, you know, decides everybody's success in the end. And that's just the unfortunate uh game of life, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't play it, you know. So I, I do think I I'm on I'm of the opinion that you should tend to be more intense rather than less because it's better to shoot and, you know, maybe correct along the way or, 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 you know, do your favorite thing. And the world just said, Hey, we, we just don't need that much of that thing. No matter how good you are at it, there's world class. I think there's a competition for Rubik's cube, like solving, right? It's like, you're the best in the world at solving the Rubik's cube. It's like, unfortunately, it's just not that valuable. 
but but is it is it would would I say to somebody like, hey, you shouldn't you shouldn't be intense about being the best at something? I mean, maybe if you're 40 and you're trying to win that competition, I would say, you know, probably go try something else. But no, I would say like you're better off being too intense and being doing the wrong goal rather than being lackadaisical, lackadaisical about all goals. Well, Alex, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. I mean, this conversation reminds me that if you're on social media or if you're listening to other people out there, there is a lot of cosplaying success. And I think that's exactly what your thread really, as you were talking about, is about. It's like it's really easy to focus on these simple markers or monitors that supposedly have something to do with success. And so it's easy for us to focus on those because they're easy, but maybe really reaching our goals, whether they're financial or otherwise, really takes some radical responsibility and sticking to it for years and years and years. It's ultimately doing the thing, especially if it's that thing that consumes a lot of your thought process which makes me again think of you, Alex Scott Feliz. I know undoubtedly in 10 years, you'll probably still be talking shit, but what are some of your big goals that you're looking forward to in the future? I want to create a platform that helps um, people that want to create content that know that they should be creating content and and they're getting in the way of uh, maybe a little bit of motivation, maybe the discomfort of being on camera and the production of, of like cameras and and posting all that stuff is getting their way. I really want to help. I love entrepreneurship. I, I spend a lot of time on entrepreneurship. I speak the entrepreneurship language and I love content. I love making people look good on camera. I like making people sound good, good on camera. And I love sharing valuable stories. And so there's a lot of people in the world that have value, right? And they need to be sharing it with the world. They know that, but they're having, they're struggling to get the content out because, you know, it's, it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. The production is hard and the production demand is going up. You got to sound better. You got to look better. And so I speak both those languages and I'm trying to, and the movement is coming. We're at the very beginning of it. We are at the very beginning of it. this is being a revolution. So if you are on the fence, like I'm, I want to help those people get the, their content ideas and the value they have to share on camera, on the internet in a way that looks equal to the value they provide. And they want to be able to help them do it easily and confidently. And so if people are interested in learning more about you or learning more how to do this, what is the best way for them to keep up with you or get in touch with you? Uh, right now it's Instagram. I have a site being built, but it's like three days away from being completed. I don't know what the actual URL is going to be. The, the platform is going to be called Content Matters, but find me on Instagram. And what are you at Alex Scott Feliz on Instagram or what are you? Yep. Alex Scott Feliz. All right. We've been talking radical responsibility and discussing social media, specifically a thread that Alex put out. Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Dude, I appreciate you so much. Thank you. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. My talk with Alex Feliz made me think a lot about how I feel about goals. It may surprise you, I do not like goals. In fact, I often say that I am goal agnostic, not necessarily goal phobic, but goal agnostic. Here's the reason why. I think goals cause problems and actually detract from our sense of purpose and happiness. And I think it does this in three specific ways. Why are goals bad? Well, the first is they're failable. 
So often, especially when we create this really big, audacious goals, we're setting ourselves up for failure. And often then we don't actually enjoy the process of doing whatever we're doing and it leaves a bad taste in our mouth. A good example is in writing my book, Taking Stock, I thought, hmm, I'm going to create a big audacious goal. I want to sell a million books. That's huge. I mean, 0.001% of authors sell a million books. The likelihood was I was going to fail from the start, no matter how much work I did. By setting this goal up, I'm really setting myself up to not feel good when I don't get anywhere even close to that number. So goals that are failable often leave us feeling bad as opposed to feeling good. So that's the first reason. I also don't like goals because often when we set a goal, we don't know what we're going to do with that goal once we get there. So let's say with my book that I did sell a million books. Do you think I would be happy then? No, because once I reached my goal, I wouldn't know what to do with myself And in fact, because of habituation and hedonic adaption, I probably would have very quickly gone back to my baseline of happiness, and then I'd start saying, well, how do I bring back that special feeling I had when I sold a million books? And the only way would be to either write a new book and sell at least a million, if not more of those, or start concentrating on selling two million books. No matter what I did, I would keep moving the goals, and it wouldn't feel good any longer. So goals are bad for a few reasons. One is they're failable. Two, often when we get to the peak of the mountain, instead of being at the peak, we realize that we're just at the beginning of another valley and there are many, many more peaks ahead. And last but not least, I don't like goals because often when we reach our goals, we become petrified that we're going to lose everything we just gained. This is the concept of loss aversion. I see this a lot with money goals. Often when people get to the million dollars or the two million dollars or whatever it is that they thought was their ultimate reason for saving money, instead of being excited, they fear they're going to lose what they have. The market is going to go down. They're going to have a health crisis and have to spend more than they thought they would. Whatever it is, they realize that the fear of losing what they have is actually doubly as bad as the fear of never getting there in the first place. So it was one thing to dream of a million dollars and not get there, but it was completely another to get there and be petrified that you're going to lose what you have. So there you have it. The three main reasons why I don't really set goals for myself anymore. For me, goals tend to be a little toxic. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have to have goals The point is you can't really lay your happiness on achieving that goal. So for instance, with my podcast, I have a goal to get more downloads for more people to listen to it, but that's not what causes me happiness in podcasting. What causes me happiness in podcasting is having these amazing conversations or the kind of improvement that I can control so I can study and become a better interviewer. That's something that's very much under my purview, but ultimately I only have so much control over how many new people find the show, decide they like it, and pass it on to family and friends. And so again, the way I'd say it is, I've turned out to be goal agnostic, not goal phobic. You can have goals, but your happiness shouldn't depend on those goals. And so the conversation with Alex Feliz is really interesting, trying to integrate his ideas of how we get ahead in the world, how we have radical responsibility, how we take care of the things we say we're going to take care of, and yet not let goals become toxic and ruin our joy 
in the moment because ultimately we want to enjoy our day-to-day life. We don't want to always be trying to get to the next step, to get to the next place, to reach the next goal. If that's what your happiness depends on, unfortunately, I'm afraid, whether you mean to or not, you might often fall short. Awesome. As you know, I keep things running for a little while just to catch our chatting afterwards as an after show. Um, yeah, yeah. Besides the technical problems, that was it's a really fun conversation. I knew it. I knew immediately that it would be um, just because you're the kind of guy I like having these conversations. And and, you know, a big part of that is you're willing to put something out there and leave. Like you said, you're willing to do it in such a way that leaves very little gray so that we can then start arguing the gray, which actually ends up being the good conversation. I love gray, but it doesn't sell well. <laughs> well, and let's look let's look at the positive side. It doesn't sell well, but honestly, good conversations come from the gray. All right. So if you truly want to be a good content creator that sparks amazing conversations that actually changes people's hearts and minds. The gray is kind of where you got to be at, but the way you get there is not by stating it such. The way you get there is, as what you do, is you kind of, you put a, a strong theory out there, strong thesis, and then you get into the weeds with other people about what that means. Yeah. I I learned so much. I, it sounds so fucked up. I learned so much from Donald Trump. Yeah. yeah right? I know. He's, he's <laughs> and it so does good. sound messed up, but I know exactly what you're saying. He's so good at, at doing like well, there's good people on both sides. And you're like, what the fuck at the Nazi rally? No, there's not. And it's like, well, <laughs> let's have a conversation about it. You know, let's, let's have a debate. And, or, you know, it's like, he, he's just so good at, at dropping those, those bombs. And it's so, I mean, I don't want to be like him, but, um, the, the internet does do sound bites, and whether you like it or not, um, you, if you want to succeed, you sort of have to play that game at least to grab the eyeballs we are in it we are now in a full attention economy yeah we are in a full attention economy and people's um it's a difference between you know people are willing to have nuanced gray conversations like you're saying but that's not what grabs attention and so if you want to win the attention economy you have to do it in um you know three words or less lock her up build a wall (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And so you can't and so you can't be bland. And I mean, not to get overly political, but I think that's where kind of the left keeps on screwing up is they get so enraged by the three word sentence that they that they they don't use that as a chance to use nuance to undo some of the damage done by those three word sentences, so to speak. Yeah, well, let's we can go deeper down that rabbit hole a little bit. The problem is they don't want to actually talk about nuance because when yeah. you start to get into nuance, you start doing the things like the um, you know, Matt Walsh did that documentary, um, what is a woman? And you start like it's a hard conversation it's that a very yeah, those very hard conversations. Yeah, and they don't and and it and I don't actually think that the left benefits from that conversation. Interesting. To be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then they have to say like you know, are we for women's rights? Are we for trans women's rights? They, they don't really, they, 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 they aren't that conversation. Let's just, I don't want to get down that rabbit too much. Like, but, but that rabbit hole is very, is much harder. That discussion is much harder. 
and they don't have a good um, pathway. So the, the right has kind of, they're in a really interesting position where it's very simple. They have a very simple messaging and they have a very simple belief system. And so they don't, they kind of have it figured out right or wrong. They have their, their way figured out. And so, um, yeah, the left is, is not done well with nuance because they don't want to have the nuance conversation, yeah. unfortunately. And it's, and as you said, it's, it's a difficult conversation and yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the uh, the next election cycle. I'm very excited for it. election cycles on the internet are like my favorite time of the year <laughs> because um, all of a sudden people go from like we were having friends, we were we were we were fine for four years to like I like, hate you, I hate you. <laughs> this is what I think. It's this one thing, and if you have broken this moral crime, then you are my perfect enemy, and I mm. never liked you ever once. And <laughs> I just like watching it in action. It's so much fun for me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Crazy times. All right, I'm going to hit stop on this just for the end of it.